Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I've got a review of a big new threequel that's out this weekend The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. One of our favorite foreign shows has returned. We'll talk some Ragnarok and we'll tee up another Thor related show in Loki. And have you ever rewatched one of your old favorite movies and wondered, why did I like this so much? You okay there? Jeez. I think I hurt someone. This is Ed Warren, here with Lorraine. All right, let's get started. We begin with my review of The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It, based on the case files of Lorraine and Ed Warren, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson returned to play the real-life paranormal investigators. The first Conjuring movie debuted in 2013. It took the world by storm because it was a commercial and critical smash hit. Most horror movies get terrible reviews, but this one got great reviews because it was great. So a sequel was immediately greenlit before it even opened in theaters. I'm just remembering that now. They they ordered a sequel before the movie even debuted, just based on its strong reviews. Uh, The sequel debuted in 2016. It, too, was great. And a cinematic universe was also greenlit. There were three spin-off movies based on the Annabelle doll from the first Conjuring movie. There was also one about the nun from The Conjuring 2. And I think more spin-offs are coming. But you know what? The spin-offs are kind of garbage in comparison to The Conjuring proper. And this third story is described as follows. The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It reveals a chilling story of terror, murder, and unknown evil that shocked even experienced real-life paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. One of the most sensational cases from their files, it starts with a fight for the soul of a young boy, then takes them beyond anything they'd ever seen before to mark the first time in U.S. history that a murder suspect would claim demonic possession as a defense. Residents of Brookfield were shocked this afternoon by the broad daylight murder of Bruno Sauls. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil. A new director this time, Michael Chavez, taking over from James Wan, who stayed on as producer. Uh, Michael Chavez, uh, I guess most notably, directed The Curse of La Llorona. Worth noting as well, The Conjuring Universe is the largest horror franchise in history, with over $1.8 billion worldwide. And that tally is about to go up significantly. Whatever was going on, whatever happened that day... That was not Arnie. It's a witch's totem. We think your family was cursed. And that connection's still broken. So it's new in theaters where available. Most are still closed in Canada. So in Canada, you can rent it on premium video on demand for 25 bucks. Thanks to the good peoples at Warner Brothers, I was able to get an early crack at it. And I will say it was good, not great. First thing I found myself thinking and ended up thinking for the whole movie, this isn't nearly as scary as the other two. I still have not been able to bring myself to watch that second one again because I don't like watching scary movies alone. So I went into this one with some trepidation, although 
I started watching at 7 p.m., so there was still plenty of daylight, so maybe that helped. I should also point out while I, well, the, this thought just popped into my head. It's possible I didn't enjoy it as much because I watched it at home alone. I really enjoy going to see scary movies in the theaters because the, the, the collective tension in the room adds so much enjoyment to the experience. And it was just me at home sitting in the daylight. So I don't know. Maybe that I that should probably just point that out. Uh, but it did continue to just kind of fail on delivering the real horror stuff they did so well in the first two movies. But that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I thought it had a great story. And uh, I like that it, I mean, it played out more like a mystery than the first two films. And for me, Mika and Wilson are just so great in these roles. They're such good actors and they are great together as a team at last check it was at 67 percent on rotten tomatoes and i saw one headline i agree with completely from chris stuckman of chrisstuckman.com patrick wilson and vera farmiga are excellent in these roles and just like a good tv show i will watch these characters do things even when some episodes aren't as good as the others like I said, good, not great. Farmiga and Wilson are excellent. So it would have to be a real stinker of a movie to not enjoy it at all. So I'm going to give The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, three and a half couch cushions out of five. Uh, because even though they've always been the central characters in the first movie, we didn't really know who they were. So we came to know them in that first movie, got to know them more in the second. And in this one, it just feels like... They're the story, uh, even though the the story is around them. With they, They're the reason you're there to watch this movie. And I think that was a, a great point that that uh, critic Chris Stuckman made, Jeff, because we've all watched shows where we love the characters, but we think, man, that was sometimes either just a ho-hum episode or like that was really a bad episode of this show. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even, you know, with other movie series, too, there's some that aren't, you know, clearly aren't as good as the others. No one's going to say Iron Man 2 is their favorite Iron Man movie, but, you know, I'm still going to watch Iron Man 2. Good Especially point. if I'm doing a whole MCU rewatch, I, I, w- I wouldn't skip over anything. So, yeah, that's not every one movie is going to be the best one of the whole bunch. But uh, if so long, I mean, three and a half out of five, that's still pretty good, especially for, like you said, at home and watching in the daylight. That that absolutely would play into how you would perceive, you know, some of that movie. And it's a short watch. It's uh, 112 minutes, I think, was the total running time. So I'm glad that... This movie didn't take itself so seriously that it decided to venture into like two and a half hour territory. It's nice that it still recognizes what it is. It's a scary movie and they shouldn't be more than two hours. So to get in, tell your story, make me jump out of my chair a couple of times and uh, get out of the way. And they do. And again, Farmiga and Wilson just can't say it enough. They are so good in these roles. So they really elevate what would have been probably a run of the mill film into one that's I think pretty good. Meanwhile, it feels weird to be talking about box office again, but we have to point out that this past weekend, A Quiet Place 2 debuted. I don't know why it came all the way up here. There's nothing left. won't survive. We have to try. So it made an estimated 47.5 
million dollars in its opening weekend. It played on 3,700 screens. Like, that's pre-pandemic level screens, pretty much. I don't know if the theaters are wide open in terms of capacity in the U.S. Uh, the first Quiet Place made $50 million in its opening weekend. So I would imagine in a normal world, the sequel would have made way more. But still, that's an excellent debut weekend, and it's nice to see at least some parts of the world are getting back to normal, like we saw back in, I think it was March, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong made north of $30 million, which was a big surprise. People were wondering, uh, are, are people going to go back to the movies? So clearly there is an appetite to get back to the movies, and A Quiet Place 2 marketed itself that way. This is the experience you need to see on a big screen. So I am, again, I mentioned this last week, I'm just so sad that I can't see it on a big screen. Disney's Cruella, by the way, made uh, $21 million. And uh, you liked that, right, Jeff? For those who I missed it last it. week? Yeah, I did. I did see Disney's Cruella, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was just, uh, it's a fun, entertaining romp uh, from right from the get-go right to the end. It's uh, it's maybe a little too long, but, uh, but I enjoyed the whole thing. It, it was just fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, in a moment, we are going to head to Norway for a great show on Netflix. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and one of the more bizarre side effects of Netflix changing the television landscape is we now have so much more access to foreign shows. There was a time when the most you would see from other countries would be like Coronation Street and a handful of shows on PBS. When I was a kid, the Braun family enjoyed a British sitcom called Hello, Hello. But now we have the whole world at our fingertips, and The Couch Potatoes have enjoyed traveling the planet. One of our newer faves is a show from Norway called Ragnarok. And it's obviously in Norwegian. Now you may have guessed from the title that Ragnarok has something to do with Thor, and you're right. It's basically Smallville, but with Thor and better scenery. It's a teenage drama where high schooler Magna, a little thick, a little lunky, realizes after his family moves back to his hometown of Edda, located in a beautiful Norwegian fjord, that he is getting some superpowers, and he is indeed the god of thunder, Thor. That was season one, where he also learned that the local rich family in town were secretly immortal bad guys who he'd have to fight. Didn't help that two of them were his classmates. One was his principal, and the other ran the biggest company in the town, basically employing everyone, including his mom. Now Ragnarok's back for a second season, and the plot thickens. It begins immediately after the events of the finale of season one. And in the early going, Magna learns that there may be others like him who can help him defeat bad guys. And his brother learns more about his own past and what that might mean for his future. And because we've watched a bunch of MCU Thor movies, we have some idea where some of these things will lead. We understand about hammers and lightning and things like that as well. It's not all a one-to-one -one comparison, of course, as both the MCU movies and the show are based on Norse myths and legends, and each will take their own liberties and use the pieces that they want to fit their situations. The first season was neat in the, wow, this is an original fun way to tackle this material kind of way, but I think I'm enjoying season two more just because it starts with a bang, and it's just it just continues the story. All the setup is behind us, so it's just 
about moving the plot forward. There are a couple of interesting new characters, and some of the maybe duller ones have been left on the sidelines a little bit in the early going, which is fine with me. It's also fun watching, you know, the Norway of it all. To some extent, teens will be teens and people will be people wherever you go. But there are some things here that feel like, oh, well, that must be a European thing or a Norwegian thing. Magna's mom is very laid back about some things you would assume most North American parents would be very uptight about. But teenagers hanging out at the burger joint and just ordering fries and water is something I literally did many, many times growing up. So there's a universal appeal to a lot of the stuff here, even though it's in another language. The season seems to be gearing up towards a big fight at the end, which is sort of how season one ended, but I'm guessing this fight will be a little bigger. Incidentally, if you don't like subtitles, there is an option to watch with English dubs, and I tried it for a minute, and it sounded ridiculous, and I went back to the subtitles, but I know the subtitles are a deal breaker for some, so there is the other option here, and like I said, Ragnarok season two out now on Netflix. I've watched two episodes. Brett, I believe you've watched the same. I have watched two episodes as well, and I was very happy to see this land itself in Canada's top 10 this week, so clearly there is an appetite for these foreign shows, like earlier this year, that uh, Tribes of Europa, which is predominantly uh, German language in the show, that was a top 10 show as well. And uh, this particular show, you mentioned the beautiful Norwegian fjord. I just looked it up to see if Edda was, uh, is a real place. Apparently the town is fictional, but it's shot in Oda, Norway. Uh, I don't know why they had to change the name, whatever. But <laughs> the, the scenery is quite possibly the the best I've ever seen. I, I just some of the, the the camera angles that they use and some of the the wide long distance exposed uh, you know, sort of uh, establishing shots uh, are yep. just mesmerizing and I wish that North American television shows would take this approach where I've said this before, but just hold the camera there for like an extra two or three seconds and let us enjoy. Like they they put all this money into, you know, sending up a drone or a helicopter to get the this wide footage. Like, let us see it. Let me look at it for a second and enjoy it. You, I think that exact same thought every single episode of the new Magnum PI, which is obviously shot in Hawaii like the old one was, and it's just gorgeous scenery, and they flash through it so fast, it's like, come on, just, like, I'll sometimes just hit pause on the TV just so I can look at it for a minute before I continue on with the Magnum's latest adventure. Yeah, and I guess, I know there's the fear with, especially with network TV, the uh, that people's attention spans are getting shorter, but I guess for a show like Ragnarok, they know they can get away with it because if you are watching Ragnarok, you are paying, you have to pay attention <laughs> unless you speak Norwegian, right? You have to be reading the subtitles, so you got to watch right. the show. But I, I too am enjoying this more than the first season. The problem is, I don't remember half of the stuff that happened in season one. Like there is a reference to a speech that one of the characters gave and they said it was great. Yeah. No recollection of that. I I don't remember it at all. Me neither. And in fact, when I mentioned that this picks up where the first season ends, like literally like two seconds later, I still, I, when it started, I quickly stopped it and I was like, Oh my God, I've, I've missed something. I've, there must've been a Christmas special. I didn't watch or something. Cause <laughs> I had no idea how that, I couldn't remember how the first season ended. And I went back to the finale of season one and watched the last few minutes. I was like, Oh, okay. I didn't miss anything. This is how it ended. I totally forgot about this. Yeah. And they, they did. So I, I think after I watched the first episode, I realized that there was a recap 
in the column of episodes for season two. So I watched that, but it was only a minute. It just kind of gave a very brief summary. It was essentially, I think, meant to give you the the nuts and bolts of what the story is in case you just decided to pick up the story, I guess, from season two. I don't know. But uh, yeah, because even though the first season was only six episodes, I felt like it was kind of clunky along the way. I liked it, but it was clunky. This one, so far, not clunky at all. I think it's great television and like we said it's beautiful television and uh, I'm really excited I I enjoy the way they've interpreted this material Um, and I'm curious to see just how big the brawl will be at the end yeah absolutely and uh, like you know with other these other people that might also have other powers there's one character that's been spotlit a little in the first couple of episodes and uh, she's just hilarious it's like that's exactly what I wanted. And, you know, if there's another team member to be had. So there is one character on the show as well who has been staged to be Loki, but hasn't been confirmed to be Loki. But in a moment, we will give you the latest on what's coming for Marvel's Loki coming up next. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Segment three coming down in three, two, one. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We were just talking about Ragnarok over on Netflix, but that's not the only Thor-related show on TV. The new MCU show, Loki, begins this week on Disney+. Plus. Loki, you're in a lot of trouble. What do you want from me? Come on, sit down. Our timeline is in chaos. And you need the god of mischief to help. Loki is unpredictable. <laughs> I know what I am. Good. Bad. Bit of both. Original series streaming Wednesday, June 9th, only on Disney+. Plus. So we've already had seasons of WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier this year. Now the third MCU show, Loki. Meantime, the last MCU movie was still Spider-Man Far From Home, which is starting to feel like forever ago. But there will be a couple of movies out later this year, starting with the long-awaited Black Widow movie on July 9th. But for Loki, Tom Hiddleston is reprising the role. He was killed off in Thor Ragnarok, I believe. But we saw him again in Avengers Endgame during the time heist. It was the 2012 version of Loki, and he's still the Tesseract and vanished into thin air. The show picks up with him after that, and indeed, that stunt appears to be the point of the show. He's messed up the timeline, and now he has to help Owen Wilson fix it. Wilson is some kind of a time cop, I guess, and we can only hope and pray that JCVD makes an appearance because we know he's a time cop, too. So that's good, and because one of the lingering questions from Endgame was, well, what about Loki? He's alive again? He has an Infinity Stone? How does that all work after all the snaps? I guess we'll find out and find out what, if any, consequences there are for the MCU going forward. I sort of doubt it, except maybe maybe Loki is just alive again, but the MCU is also clearly heading into a multiverse stage, so maybe there will be multiples of everyone anyway or something. I don't know. It's a weird thing to try to wrap my head around. I was already struggling during Endgame with Gamora and Thanos, Gamora and Thanos uh, coming from the past to the present after they were killed. Like, am I supposed to care about this Gamora as much as the other one? And things like that stress me out for some reason. Now, Loki's a six-episode series, just like The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Wikipedia says the episodes are 40 to 50 minutes long, so that's the same as well. And it debuts Wednesday the 9th. The new episodes will come out each Wednesday after that, which is a change from the other series, which release new episodes on Fridays. I think I'll prefer Wednesdays to Fridays, especially now that the summer weather's here, like to get out more on the weekends. Um, I think the bar is set pretty high for Loki as well. WandaVision was an unexpected pleasure 
pleasure, buoyed by the very weird but original premise. While the Falcon Winter Soldier show was a little underwhelming at times, but it was also hampered by having to chop a storyline that was too close to the real-world pandemic story, apparently. The MCU learns from its less-than-stellar entries, so I think by now they probably have a better handle on how to make these little mini-series for Disney+. And of course, the character Loki is a lot more dynamic than Wanda, Vision, the Falcon, or the Winter Soldier. I think that'll have an awful lot to do with it. I think he's one of the most entertaining characters in the MCU. So we got high hopes for Loki. It comes out Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. Are you looking forward to it, Brett? Yeah, I am. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the pandemic because the fir- that's the first thing I thought of when I watched the trailer for Loki because at one point he's wearing a jacket and on the back of that jacket it says variant. And I'm sure when the variants of concern started to pop up, <laughs> Marvel probably thought, come on! Like, what? Because yeah. th- that's got to be something they wrestled with. Should we change it? Should we leave it? Uh, we but, can't. It's on his back. It's on the jacket. <laughs> but yes, I'm very much excited. And you raise a, a great point about Wednesdays because I was sort of lamenting the fact that they moved it from Wednesday or from Friday to Wednesday because I, I enjoyed having that. It was like a treat to come home to at the end of the week to watch whatever Disney Plus oh, yeah. is putting out. But also with movie theaters in full swing, basically in the states, and with that means more movies are going to come out. So now Disney Plus won't be in competition with whatever the big new thing is for the weekend, right? So they're going to get more eyeballs yeah. probably on the Wednesdays than they will on a Friday. Good point. There is that. So that's Loki, and it's out next Wednesday, which means we'll talk about it on our show next week, give you some first impressions of the first episode there. Um, we're going to move on to something else now. Brett, have you ever loved a movie and then you don't watch it for a long time, and then when you do finally revisit you wonder why you loved it so much in the first place? Yep. Well... It happened to me this week with 1997's As Good As It Gets, starring Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. Melvin Udall has only two problems in life. Melvin, wait! Shut up, kids! Human beings. How do you write women so well? I think of a man, and I take away reason and accountability. And being human. You want to dance? Well, I've been thinking about that. And? No. Jack Nicholson. Don't you be like me. You stay just the way you are. As good as it gets. Rated PG-13. Opens December 23rd in select cities. Everywhere December 25th. Now, if you've never seen it, As Good As It Gets comes from director James L. Brooks, who was a big deal director who made terms of endearment and broadcast news, and he was instrumental in getting The Simpsons on the air. Jack Nicholson plays Melvin, a New York City novelist who suffers from some pretty severe crippling OCD. He has to do the light switches and door locks five times every time, that sort of thing. And he eats lunch at the same diner every day where Helen Hunt is his waitress. She's poor and has a sick kid. Melvin also has an artistic neighbor played by Greg Kinnear, who has a little dog yada 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 their lives collide and it's mostly meant to be a rom-com with Nicholson and Hunt and a lot of ink was spilled over that age difference when the movie came out now when it did come out I, I loved this movie. I saw it several times in theater. I bought it on VHS and I even bought the soundtrack on CD. And I was 21 years old when As Good As It Gets was released in theaters. And I will admit, I had a sizable crush on Helen Hunt at the time. And I mean, come on, who doesn't like Jack Nicholson? The movie was weird and different and funny and emotional. It kind of checked a lot of boxes for me. But for whatever reason, probably the fact that I got rid of all my VHS tapes years ago. I hadn't seen As Good As It Gets in at least a decade, maybe 15 years. I noticed it on Prime Video last weekend, so I fired it up expecting a nice nostalgic ride. And 
I was underwhelmed. I found it to be an awkward and very clunky movie. There were still quite a few wonderful moments, but for a two-hour, 20-minute movie, it really you know, feel, felt like there were a lot of missing scenes, like mostly in the area of how Helen Hunt's character goes from loathing to loving Jack Nicholson. It just didn't track. The most endearing thing I could find on this rewatch was Nicholson's growing affection for Kinnear and his little dog. There are quite a few things that don't jive anymore either, just because of the times changing over the last 24 years. But I'm not even holding that against the movie. And, and Nicholson's character was designed to be a man out of time in many of those regards anyway. But sloppy storytelling can't be forgiven. And I think my crush on Helen Hunt must have clouded my judgment back then. That crush is over and it now seems actually a little surprising that she won an Oscar for this movie. Jack won an Oscar too. That's a little easier to see because his is a very showy role. And of course he's Jack Nicholson. That said, still mostly enjoyable. I certainly don't hold it in the same high regard I once used to. Uh, to be fair, I've gone from 21 to 45 since this movie was released and a lot of my tastes have changed. That's just life, I think. So that was kind of my bittersweet moment at the movies uh, last weekend watching As Good As It Gets. It's a uh, not as good as it was. Brad, I don't know. Do you, do you ever come across this sort of uh, phenomenon as as we age? Oh, for sure. I, the movie that stands out the most for me is probably the never-ending story. Now, I, to be fair... <laughs> well, they, they did make us... I think they made... Well, they might have made three of those. Uh, but the, oh, really? the sequel is terrible. But the, the first one, I adored that movie when I was a kid. I don't know how many times I watched it. It feels like probably a hundred, uh, might've been more, I don't know. Uh, but I, I loved it when I was a kid and then I finally rewatched it as an adult and I was so disappointed. I'd almost be curious to go back and watch it one more time because I think when I watched it the second time I was expecting it to feel the same, but, yeah. uh, you know, some, some movies don't feel the same, even though they were special to you. When you were a kid and some of the, I mean, obviously I know it was the eighties. So the, the effects, which were cool then are just horrible now, but I just found it awfully sort of stupid. <laughs> so that might not be fair, but, uh, so but, that's one. Go ahead. Yeah. On the flip side of that, a buddy of mine told me last week, do you remember the show? Was it called the wizard or the whiz or whatever with, uh, what's his name? Fred Savage. Yep. The oh, video yeah, the game movie. show. And he had the, Yeah. So my buddy watched that with his kids who are uh, 12 and 9, I believe, and he said they all really liked it. He said that movie still s s holds up. And I was like, how does that still hold up? It's about the Nintendo Power Glove, for God's sake. He's <laughs> like, I don't know, but it did, and my kids loved it. And it's all, you know, ancient technology to them. And the, It's like us watching a movie about gramophones or something, right, to them. So, But some of them stand up, and I guess some of them just don't. That's one I haven't watched in a long time, too. When I saw that in theaters, man, I loved that. Yeah. And that may, I wonder, studies must have been done on, on that movie being a successful advertising tool, right? It's like, it's basically, as you pointed out, it's just a <laughs> marketing tool for Nintendo, for the Power Glove. And never right. have I wanted to get my hands on a video game more than Super Mario Brothers 3. Like, I was losing my mind, for because that came out, I think, in December of that year and the game didn't come out until June. And I remember because I had to study for my French exam that night and my parents <laughs> would not allow me to go get the game until I was finished studying. So once I finished it and I had to pre-order the game. So I, once I finished it, my dad took me to Canadian tire to pick it up 
and uh, I was just thrilled, and I, I did okay on the exam as well. But uh, I, as far as movies that I liked when I was a kid, and that it was that I was hoping would feel the same, one that still kind of does is the last Starfighter. The effects aren't nearly as good. They're, in fact, by today's compare or by today's standards, they're terrible. But the thing with the last Starfighter is it was the first first movie to use CGI. So it's to be commended. Uh, at the time, it was mind blowing. Now, obviously, not so much. But there's still, uh, in spite of its bad effects or or its dated visual effects, it's just a movie with so much heart, and uh, the sentimental value has held for that one for me. One movie I've been wanting to watch again is Face Off with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Oh, man. But I'm kind of scared that that's not going to hold up because not all of Nicolas Cage's action movies from the 90s have held. Like, didn't you recently watch one? I I will tell you this. I recently watched two. I recently rewatched The Rock and Con Air. And The Rock is a good movie. Yeah, that's still awesome. Con Air... Con Air is not. Con Air is. That is a bad movie. <laughs> and the and the action in it isn't even that ex- like it's not worth it for the action, even though the rest of it is dumb. It, it's worth it as it's worth it to kind of like laugh at how bad it is. It's so fun like that, especially if you remember it being like just like when that movie came out. I was like, well, that's the greatest movie of all time, right there, isn't it? Yeah. How could it not be? But yeah, it's it's dumb, and he does that southern accent, which is somebody should have. Day one said, dude, we're not doing the accent anymore. You're not from Alabama. You're from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Friend, uh, the uh, the Rock, I mean, that I still love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think for the most part, it holds up. So, yeah, I'm going to go home and think about this more and look at my shelf and, and look at the movies that I would probably never watch again and wonder, why do I still have this? <laughs> why do I have all these movies on my shelves if I'm never going to watch them Ooh. again? In a moment, we got to tell you about the Furious Verse. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And with all the big franchise universes out there, there are rumors about a potential crossover that would bring two massive franchises together: the Fast and the Furious and Jurassic Park. You and your friends are a part of it now. I don't have friends. I got friends. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known that was coming, but still. <laughs> uh, gotcha. All right. Well, there doesn't seem to be a lot of credible reporting on this, so it's mostly rumors, although apparently um, Fast and Furious 9 director Justin Lin was pressed about it at some interview he was doing, and he wouldn't rule it out, but they never rule anything out in the Fast and Furious world, nor should they. I mean, at the end of the latest trailer for F9, appears to show them about to make good on this long-running joke that, you know, they've been getting so nuts that eventually they go to space, like... So that might be happening in this coming movie. They just don't rule anything out. And it sounds super dumb, but Vin Diesel and his family know how to make super dumb work. So only time will tell. I I, I thought it, I, I shook my head at it the first time I heard it. And it's been a few days now, Brett. And by God, I'm already coming around on it. I think it might actually be a fun crossover to see Vin Diesel uh, trying to outrace a Tyrannosaurus Rex in his Dodge Charger. Why not? Oh, Why you, not? You know what Vin Diesel would want to do? he would want to find a way to ride the dinosaur. <laughs> like right. to drive the dinosaur. Like, uh, like, oh, like Fred Flintstone does at the beginning credits, right? When he slides down the brontosaurus after yeah. his day of work at the quarry, except in his car, like that. Yeah. Ramp off its tail. 
That's right. Yeah, I get. I, I just I don't I don't see what. How would it make any sense? Like, would it be the the Fast and the Furious guys fighting dinosaurs? Uh, it just seems kind of silly to me. Or they, I don't know. It looks like they're at a tropical island of some sort in the trailer for Fast Nine. So maybe they just end up on the island by accident and find themselves surrounded by dinosaurs and have to try to survive. I have no idea, but why not? They can all the crazy stuff they've done in that series. Why not? You know. Yeah, it it has gotten crazy, and I actually re- revisited Fast Five the other day because it's been Same a few here. years. Oh yeah, it's been a few years since I rewatched that, and it's funny to see how when that came out, that movie was bonkers insane with that scene where they're pulling the vault down the street. It's one of the craziest action scenes I've ever watched, and yeah. it essentially pales in comparison to where the franchise has gone over the the next few movies. The submarine, all that stuff in the Hobbs and Shaw movie was like borderline too far. And I can only imagine what's going to come out in F9. But yeah, you're right. It's just like, just when you think they can't do it, make it any crazier, they always make it crazier. I watched five and six this week and I'm watching seven this weekend. It's seven's still my favorite one, I think. So I'm looking forward to that. I just wanted to mention this quickly as well. Speaking of cinematic universes, saw a pick from the MCU, Taika Waititi and Chris Hemsworth Hems- for the from the set of Thor, Love and Thunder. Hemsworth is wearing a tank top and he is jacked. Like he is as big as he's ever been. Maybe the most jacked I've ever seen anybody get for a superhero role. He actually looks like he was drawn by someone for a comic <laughs> book. I mean, he partly had to bulk up because he's going to play Hulk Hogan. But man, for a guy who was getting bored with the Thor role a few years back and kind of wanted out, his commitment to the role is to be commended. I appreciate that as a fan of the series, somebody who wants to make their character look as close to the comics as possible. But that's not always humanly possible because the way they draw them, they're just too big. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.